Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Okay, my guest today, Steve Lane. I first met Steve at Tyler Hill Camp, a summer camp for kids. Steve currently runs and operates the Tyler Hill Inn year-round. The Tyler Hill Inn is an incredible inn about an hour and a half from New York City. It's a relaxing, peaceful, incredible getaway for a quick weekend escape from New York City. Full-time, Steve is the founder of Peak Primal Health, a coaching business focused around diet and lifestyle. His goal is to help his clients unlock a life of longevity, effortless weight control, and optimal human performance. I've personally had the pleasure of working with Steve twice now, and I've not only seen incredible results as it relates to diet, but also how I feel, how I function, and many ways living a much more holistic lifestyle. This podcast is filled with bits of gold, lots around diet mindset and things you should be doing during this lockdown period of the coronavirus and also some plant medicine. So enjoy and uh, make sure to leave a review at the end and hope you enjoy. Thanks. I'm grateful that you uh, decided to join today. I've seen on your Instagram, you've like pondered launching a podcast yourself as well. I have. I have indeed. For whatever reason, I've always just not pull the trigger. Maybe it's just because like it's another thing or whatever, but I've done a good number now. This would be probably like getting close to 10. And I always have such a good time chatting on them. I like the long forum kind of conversations to go deep. And yeah, every time I'm like, maybe I should do my own. But for whatever reason, that, that never transpires. There, Those limiting beliefs come in or something. I don't know what it is, but maybe in the future, you know, maybe you'll inspire me. You should 100% do it. I feel like you're just like a wealth of knowledge. Right. And I feel like people would would eat at it. Right. And also you're able to like communicate in a very entertaining and effective way. So I feel like if I can encourage you in, in any sense, I had a lot of the similar limiting beliefs actually before launching this. Like I wanted to launch this for a long time. I had this idea that I wanted it to be like perfect, whatever that is. And I was like, I want it to be a certain way. And now I'm just like, I'm just going to have awesome conversations with awesome yeah. people and see where it brings me. Yeah. I love what you said about the perfectionism thing, because, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but I'm a health coach. So I just kind of, you know, what I've really found is my passion is combining all of these facets of help to really just encourage people to to really just like live life on fire, you know, like step into the potential. And something that so many people go through is this perfectionism myth that holds them back and keeps them procrastinating, you know, like it's got to be perfect or I'm not going to do it. But what I've learned time and time again is the antidote to that is just taking messy action because done is better than perfect every single time. Because if you're, you know, you're waiting for perfection, you don't get it done, nothing's produced. You know, that difference between zero and one is the biggest step to take. So like squash the perfection and just take messy action. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, on crappy headphones with a crappy mic and a crappy background, just do it, just do it. And you'll tweak as you go. 
but don't let perfection be the thing that you know holds you back from doing you know the things that you want to do essentially you know just fucking own it let's go take messy action time is now right i love that yeah that's that's absolutely i mean that's my mindset certainly with this it's just like let's do it we'll iterate we'll see what works what doesn't what people listen to what they don't what they want to hear more of and i've also sort of just accepted that like probably at the beginning most of these will suck in my head i'm just like right now i just want to sharpen the blade and yeah and see what happens right there's also something very powerful about that too is like people really resonate with like vulnerability and honesty to just say like i'm new to this like i'm nervous I'm not sure what my podcast hosting ability is in terms of the quality of conversations that I'm going to ask and things like that, but I'm going to try. People don't need like this polished, you know, thing, this finished product. What they want is like real, raw, good conversation. And I think, you know, all the other stuff you tweak as you go, that's it really. Just, you know, have some good conversations with some good people and see what comes of this. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe for those that are listening, maybe you could give an overview of who you are, what you do. Uh, your coaching philosophy, and let's sort of see where that brings us. Yeah, so my name is uh, Steve, Steve Lane. I am the owner and founder of Peak Primal Health, which is, you know, the the old social media handles where I, you know, uh, show up and, you know, talk about a lot of this stuff and run my coaching through. So I'm a health coach and health coach is exactly what it says on the 10, really. It, it's helping people build healthy, sustainable behaviors. Um, so I really you know, specialize in helping people build lifelong habits that help them become, you know, the best physically, emotionally, spiritually. I'm a holistic health coach. so I'm not just focused on just the exercise or just the food. It's the whole package for me. You know, how can you align yourself in the physical body? How can you feed yourself well? How in touch with you? Uh, you know, how in touch are you with nature? How are you moving? How are you thinking? What's your self-talk like? All of these facets really create health. So, you know, I work with people in in that respect and, you know, I live in Northeast Pennsylvania in the countryside these days where I run a bed and breakfast that's kind of seasonal, you know, very busy in the summer and not so much in the winter. So, you know, that allows me to wear these two different hats as, you know, the health coach for most of the year and then the bed and breakfast host for the rest of the year. So it's a fun little blend of different skills and interacting with people and just, you know, trying to provide value in, in whichever way I can. Awesome. So you weren't always a health coach. So what made you decide to start, you know, this, this business and Mm. I guess also start your own health journey. I remember going back when we first met, uh, you were always fit because you were training and fighting and mixed martial arts, jujitsu, but what made you want to go this direction ultimately? Mm. Yes, I definitely wasn't always in the mindset that I would be like a health coach or a personal trainer, anything like that. In fact, most of my childhood, I was quite unhealthy and I came from an unhealthy family. And it was that desperation that really became my motivation, if you will. You know, the the fact that I watched my mom have a lifelong battle with weight growing up and I watched, you know, family members in my family die far too young uh, from chronic lifestyle diseases, you know, and I'm talking like in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, you know, aunties, uncles, grandparents, scary stuff for a kid that is watching, you know, how, you know, you kind of, your worth is dependent on how slim you are. That's what the messages I was receiving anyway. And your health is determined by your genetics. And that was very scary for me, because I thought that we had bad genetics, because everybody was fat and sick. So, you know, it it was just kind of a desperate move that I didn't want to follow suit. And that led me to, you know, certain you know, reading certain books and entertaining different ideas. Because like you said, I, 
I battled some of that with, you know, just diving into sports. And at first I played rugby and then it was mixed martial arts. And I was fit in terms of like, I could perform tasks and I was a decent athlete, but I never looked like an athlete, really. I was always carrying an extra 10 or 15 pounds, no matter what I did, you know, following all the standard advice. So I, I again, I was chalking that up to my bad genetics, right? I was like, well, I can, I can work as hard as anybody, but I'm never going to look a certain way and I'm never going to reach a certain level because I just have bad genes. And what I realized was it wasn't necessarily anything to do with my bad genes. It was the bad information I was providing my body with the way that I was eating, with the way that I was training. I was doing nothing at that time in terms of, you know, mental work and, and uh, you know, working on mindset and things like that. So it was really understanding all of that stuff. Those were the final pieces of the puzzle that allowed me to like really step into, you know, my potential as, as an athlete and as a person and really, you know, just heal a lot of things that I'd been dealing with. And then that just became something that I became obsessed with. And I think if you're lucky enough to find something that you're passionate in, in to such a degree and something that you can inspire others you know, to, to learn to and to, you know, give people the gift of health was really like just a no brainer from for me from that point. So I just naturally became a coach and a teacher. And even if I wasn't getting paid for it, the first few years, I was just trying to tell anybody that wanted to listen, you know, try this, do this. And that just naturally transpired into what I do today, which is, you know, professionally coaching and, and helping, you know, people just really just level up across the board and really actually fulfill the potential as a human being. Was there a tipping point that brought you to, okay, I'm done eating this crappy food, I'm done drinking alcohol, etc. Was there like a tipping point where you were like, that's it, I need to take control of my health? Yeah, it started, it started around realizing how hard it was to manage weight, manage weight cuts for MMA, for competitions, jujitsu competitions and fights and things like that, because, you know, you have weight classes. So you then have to get to a certain weight. And you know, if you follow the standard advice and you're training a bunch, it's, it's just this, this paradigm of eat less and move more. So it was like, okay, eat less and train more. Let's try that. Well, how does that go? Well, you're just friggin' exhausted all the time and you're grumpy and you're, you're just obsessed with food. It's the only thing you can think of because you're tracking calories and you're weighing every morsel of food. And I'm, I'm a, at this point, like an 18 year old kid training twice a day, six days a week, competing at a very, very high level eating like 12, 1300 calories a day, it's terrified of fat foods, because eating fat makes you fat, you know, loading up on carbs for the energy, like all of the things that I would later learn, are not necessarily serving you at all. So I was like, I was, I was, I was burning the candle at both ends, man. And it became just desperate. It was desperate for me, I couldn't make weight, I wasn't performing properly. So I, you know, consulted Uncle Google, and I was, you know, I can't even remember what I was Googling, but I was just looking for something else, some other way, there must be another way. And I stumbled upon a blog from Mark Sisson, who wrote the Primal Blueprint. And he just basically proposed this completely radical idea to me at the time of a fat-based metabolism. And this idea that carbohydrates aren't necessarily these, these amazing performance foods we've been led to believe and that grains were particularly damaging. And this was all very new information to me. But at that point, I was so desperate that I was willing to try anything. So I said, let me try this guy's approach for a month and see how I feel. And that was, you know, that was it. That was it for me. I, I dropped the grains for a month and stopped, you know, fearing the fat and just went, you know, as, as, as a more like real food approach, a more primal approach. And knee pain went away that last 10 pounds that I hadn't been able to shift for a few years was gone my energy was up in the gym I was performing better I was recovering better my sleep improved I was like holy shit that was a month you know and 
it took a while to really fully transition and make that a lifestyle. But as soon as I tasted that, I knew that that was the ticket to optimal performance. And then, you know, just tweaking that over the years and really trying to cement that. So it became, you know, like just the way that I live, which is now today is just that's it for me. That's just the new normal, you know? Got it. That was the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. I recall like my kickboxing coach growing up being like, you want to lose weight? Not obviously not a nutritionist coach by any means, but he's like, you need to lose some weight, eat like a can of tuna and, and um some like celery with some hot yeah. sauce three times a day and you'll lose yeah. weight. Of course I'll lose weight. That's like 300 calories. Right. Of food intake. <laughs> Crazy gym coaches giving you uh nutrition advice. Yeah. It's a whirlwind out there. It is a, it is a minefield to sort through the good advice from the bro wisdom to, you know, just stuff that is just plain wrong, but has been accepted as truth you know it's crazy yeah i find in the combat sport gyms there's a lot of bro science as it relates to diet so much so much it relates to everything bro science is king man <laughs> so as it relates to the the primal diet maybe you could share a little bit around just touch upon like what the primal diet is and mm. i guess a question i get all the time and i'm like hmm, i'm not so sure how to answer the difference between primal diet and paleo mm. and primal diet and keto mm. So um, the difference between primal and paleo really is that primal has a little bit more wiggle room in it in terms of primal allows for some more of these modern foods and dairy, basically. Dairy is allowed on a primal diet as long as one is not sensitive to it, whereas paleo is quite strict. There's really no dairy in a, in a well-formulated or strictly adhered to paleo diet. And where those two kind of branch off from keto is that even though paleo primal are lower carb by by standards compared to the standard western diet they're not ketogenic and ketogenic is a very restricted state of carbohydrates typically under 50 grams or even under 20 depending on who you talk to and what they deem as a ketogenic diet so you can eat a paleo primal diet and still technically eat you know 150 grams of carbohydrates a day 200 grams if you're if you're if you're healthy it's the kind of carbohydrates you're looking for whereas the keto diet is going after nutritional ketosis and you can't really eat that high amount of carbohydrates unless you're incredibly metabolically flexible and be in a ketogenic state for a long long time so they're going after it for different reasons but you know basic premise of you know the primal approach which is my approach is a real food centric diet that kind of focuses on not too many rules really like eat when you're hungry stop when you're full and choose from these real food diets that that are more based on evolutionary principles now granted we're not hunting gathering anymore and we live in a very very different time frame but nothing really makes sense unless looked at through that lens of evolution whether that's how we respond to stress whether that's our metabolism whether that's our you know the way we the way we just live as humans is it has all the clues left over from evolution so what that means is a lot of these foods that we're eating today these industrialized foods they've been around for the blink of an eye in terms of our evolution so we don't necessarily have the metabolic machinery to use, assimilate, digest, and thrive on these foods. But what we do know very well is how to do that with animal-based products. We do know how to do that with roots and tubers and fruits and, you know, later introduced vegetables to a degree and, and just food that we've probably been eating for the couple million years of our evolution, not food that we've been eating for the last hundred years since the Industrial Revolution where everything comes in packages with a laundry list of ingredients and fake fats and a lot of refined sugar and grains that really took over the bulk of our intake, which we only adopted as humans to eating around 10,000 years ago. So it sounds like a long time, 
But if you map that out on terms of human evolution, it's only about 1% of our entire evolution where we switched predominantly to a grain-based diet. And since we did that, things have only gotten worse in terms of, you know, our health, you know, the size of our cranium shrunk down, bone density started to drop off, you know, tooth decay appeared in, in skeletal remains for the first time. You know, we started to get essentially sicker, shorter, fatter, and die younger from diseases that weren't really prevalent, or at least from what we know from anthropological research that didn't exist in our hunter-gatherer time because we were eating such an amazing, diverse range of foods, seasonally appropriate, and that's really gave us this genetic code to try and adapt to this modern world. So that's like the kind of philosophical, you know, kind of point of, of the paleo diet and the primal diet primal in, in a nutshell. So I worked with you twice now. And I've gone now on the deep end on living a primal lifestyle definitely still flex the the 80 20 pretty hard. But I'd say I, I'm pretty much all in on the primal diet. Yeah. I'd say to the blind eye, I would love to squash a few myths, or let's call it thinking that that I get pushback from others. Right. So I want to talk about a few topics in particular, mm. red meat, Sometimes mm. people say, oh, you shouldn't eat that much red meat or that's mm -hmm. too much red meat. I'm curious if you could just help debunk that or what would be your response to that? Okay, so let's start, let's start with a story of evolution first. Let's ask, what do you think humans ate for the vast majority of their evolution as the primary intake of food? Probably an entire animal. <laughs> right, right. These, these megalodons, these giant things that took a whole tribe to take it down. And we're talking thousands of pounds of meat because First and foremost, vegetables and the introduction of vegetables, that vegetables are a man-made product. We, we bred species of plants to be edible. Fruits have been around much longer, but vegetables are relatively new. If you are, you know, anybody that has kind of white Northern European ancestry, you know, you've got snow on the ground for four or five months of the year, no vegetables are growing. The only thing that really humans are eating in those times is animal products. And we eat animal products nose to tail, at least we used to. You know, you would take down an animal and you would eat the heart, the eyeballs, the kidney, the spleen, the liver, all of it, and then the muscle meat. And then the fur was used for a coat. So we've lost this kind of nose to tail approach to eating animal products first and foremost. So make no mistake about it. These ideas that are prevalent in today's modern society that red meat is somehow dangerous because it's carcinogenic or it's got a lot of saturated fat or cholesterol that'll clog your arteries. They're not really based on any kind of critical thinking. They're not really taking into account, you know, the isolation of these foods. You know, they're looking at this this blanket statement that, oh, people who eat red meat, you know, like burgers and things like that and lots of bacon are more likely to die of cardiovascular disease. But what else are they eating? And what else are they doing? Is it the red meat and the cheeseburger that they're eating? Or is it the milkshake and the fries that they're also eating? Or is it the fact that they drink Pepsi and smoke cigarettes and go to the bar every weekend? Like, you can't isolate a food and then throw a blanket statement on it that it is dangerous. Something that you might find fascinating or your, or your listeners might find particularly fascinating is if you eat animal products and you eat a well-formulated nose-to-tail approach where you're eating muscle meats, but you're also eating organ meats, you can get every single macro and micronutrient required in the human diet from animal products and no plant products whatsoever. If you were to go back to this idea of being a hunter-gatherer and taking down a kill and bringing it back to the tribe for the family, where you eat all of the animal and the bones get boiled for stock and everything is used, there is no such thing that exists there as like a nutritional deficiency. There's certainly no heart disease. There's no cancer in these societies. There's none of that stuff. These are diseases of modern Western living. 
And that should tell you a powerful picture of the nutrient density of animal products. It's the mm -hmm. most bioavailable. It's the most nutrient dense. It's the healthiest food that we actually have on the planet. And it has been demonized and plants have been put on a pedestal and whole grains have been put on a pedestal. But none of them can hold a candle to, you know, the, the quality and, and available nutrition from animal based, you know, products like cows and ruminants, especially. So, you know, cows, sheep and these other large ruminants like buffalo and bison, and things like this. Mm, makes complete sense to me. I hope all those vegans out there listen, give this one a listen. Mm. What about industrial oils and all the the oils that we shouldn't be putting in our body i see so many family members good friends i go over to their house for like a dinner and they're cooking with those oils and i tell them oh you really shouldn't be doing that can you just touch upon that as well yeah so i know that like you know when you get into the conversations in today's nutrition sphere you're gonna have like like you said you know the, the, the vegans on this hand you know the media is on this hand you're gonna have people saying sugar is the devil you're gonna have people saying fat is the devil in my opinion, uh, you know, from from looking at this thing and its effects on human physiology, the most dangerous aspect of the modern human diet is these industrial seed oils, often known as vegetable oils. And that confuses people because, again, we're like vegetables. If it's a vegetable oil, it must be healthy. It's vegetables, right? Because we've been told from day one that vegetables are the most healthy food in the world and you've got to eat them. But they're not actually oils from vegetables at oil. And that's why I prefer this term of industrial seed oils. These are man-made fats. You know, these are things like your canola oil your corn oil, your safflower, your soybean oil, these blanket statement vegetable oils that are a blend of all of these things. These are seed oils. And these seed oils don't produce oil naturally. You know, you go go get a, you know, a corn kernel and squeeze it and see how much oil you can extract out of that. These are these are oils that have to be treated to extract the oil. And they use, you know, toxic solvents and very high heat. And in that process of creating these fats, these fats can become oxidized because they're very heat sensitive. And that's because they're predominantly made up of these omega-6 uh, fatty acids, which are not heat stable. And the problem is when we ingest them after they've already been oxidized, and then we get them home, and then we cook with them, and we fry with them, and we heat them up to all kinds of, you know, crazy temperatures where they break down and they become oxidative, then it is just like eating food that is straight up inflammatory for us. It drives up inflammation. It increases a process in the body called lipid peroxidation, which is just this internal rusting, this oxidation, this, this stress, this internal inflammation. And inflammation being the root cause of pretty much all of our chronic diseases today. And I think that these man-made fats are the root cause of this problem. And the reason they're so prevalent in the diet today is just they're very, very cheap to manufacture. They're cheap to buy. They're odorless and flavorless, so cooking with them doesn't do too much to your food. So they're preferred in all restaurants, and and because they're so cheap, people end up buying them. You'll see them in ninety nine percent of households across the country, and people don't even think about it because they think that you know, oh, corn or sunflower or this, that, and the other, it's healthy, right? And the oil must be healthy, not realizing that those oils are incredibly toxic and they they drive rampant states of inflammation in the body. And they are, you know, if you want to improve your health, regardless of where you sit on the spectrum. Get rid of the industrial seed oils and you'd be doing yourself a massive favor. Mm. Awesome. Well, I'm like a full believer that a healthy life starts with a healthy diet. So, mm. and I know your practice greatly is not just focused on diet, but I know that's one of the, like the core foundations, I guess. But before we move into lifestyle, for anyone who's intrigued by some of this, 
just around the primal diet, lifestyle, etc. I guess, where would you say would be a good starting place if they're like, hmm, I want to give this diet a shot? Obviously, you can like look at this stuff and, and read more books and things like that. If that's your thing, I would just go with Primal Blueprint, the book that turned it all around for me and start there with the, the version from Mark Sisson. But what I would say more than anything else, because you know you can read a lot, you can watch Netflix documentaries, you can listen to me, you can do this one and that one. You know what's going to help you understand whether this works for you the most is actually just trying it. And even if you have all of those fears that are deeply ingrained that fat will make you fat and saturated fat is bad and cholesterol is bad and blah, 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 then I think we can all agree that even trying this for 30 days is not going to kill anybody, right? And if you try it for 30 days and you go this more animal-based diet and you eat meat and plants, basically, and you eat real fats and you try to prioritize quality as best as possible, and you de-emphasize the carbohydrates and the fake foods and the refined sugars, and you get rid of those toxic seed oils, then there isn't going to be a person listening to this that won't feel radically better in 30 days. And then you'll be a believer, despite what the mainstream advice is. So, you know, yes, you can read books. Yes, you can dive into the literature, and you can look at the science and how bad it's been twisted and how bad it's been misrepresented, and how there isn't a single study in the history of PubMed or anywhere that you'll find that shows saturated fat in and of itself is in any way damaging to health, cardiovascular or other. And you can nerd out on that stuff and you can really dive deep, but you know, let your actions speak louder than words or anybody else's words. Become your own professional. You know, you know your body better than anybody else. Yeah. That was certainly my experience. And I know I had the pleasure of working with you twice. First time was more like I'd say dabbing my toes in the water and mm. second time was more like all in, but certainly saw dramatic effects all around within right. uh within that 30 day period. Yeah. And like, what were some of those? What were like some of the big changes that you noticed, like compared <laughs> to the things you've always been dealing with? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things was definitely, bluntly put, being able to take a nice shit. <laughs> right. But I'd say a few things. One, I had constant sinus pressure. I went to like every ENT across New York City for like probably two years. And mm. I think, well, yeah, I think my diet was causing a lot of inflammation. And once I started cutting out a lot more of the crap in my diet, eating real food, cutting out the bad oils, yeah, like I was waking up feeling amazing, like fully yeah. energized, refreshed. Again, was able to go to the bathroom much better. Yeah. And overall, I'd say like my energy levels and feeling fuller longer. I mean, just like across the board, ability to focus. I remember when we first started working together. It was like around the time of the holidays, which is always yeah. a challenging time just because your family is trying to shove unhealthy food down your throat. And um, like I used to get like I'm sure most people still do that feeling of like complete food coma, just like I need to unbutton my pants, lay down on the couch and I'm going to close my eyes and probably fall asleep by like right. seven o'clock mid dinner. And um, I never had those. I mean, since really I haven't had those feelings, but it is funny if, if we say like flex 80-20, so flexing, eating clean 80% of the time, flexing, you're the unhealthy part, 20%. Right. I'd honestly say we're probably more like 90-10. Yeah. But um, when you do flex that 20%, it tastes great, but you absolutely do feel like the shittiness the next day. Right. I try to like eat berries or have some apple cider vinegar with water after, yeah. but maybe it's just that I'm more aware, but I definitely feel much more sensitive to when I eat something unhealthy, I feel like my body instantly is telling me like, what the hell did you just put right. in my body? It's funny. I mean, I use this as sort of like a driving thought behind why I constantly am trying to 
eat cleaner. But I was just telling someone the other day, like, you know, if you have a car, you're not going to drive the same car for 30 years without making some improvements along the way. And you're going to continue to take care of it, put good oil inside the car and make sure that you get the best life out of that car. And I think that like, it's funny when you think about it, like the snacks that I ate growing up and I guess the the shit that you put in your body and you consume, of course, you're going to feel like shit. Of course, you're going to get sick. Of course, you're not going to feel good because look at what look at the fuel that you're putting in your body on a daily repetitive basis. 100%. And what we've got is is a nation of people that are shopping for food like they shop for gas. To use the vehicle analogy, that they're looking at, at, at food as just fuel and the cheaper the better, right? So cheap is good because it's just energy. I'm going to shove it in my pie hole and it's going to fuel me to go. But there's a quality aspect to that. Food is more than energy. Food is more than calories. Food is information, you know, and this is your vehicle for life, this body that you reside in. So putting in good information will have you manifest much differently than putting in that cheap, crappy information that keeps you inflamed, that is damaging your gut, that is leading to all kinds of problems. Like you said, with the with the sinus and go into the ENTs. It's another problem with our system that allopathic medicine looks to see everybody as a, as a list of symptoms and then you know throw a drug at the list of symptoms, missing a lot of times the root cause and, and not seeing this holistic package of the person. And if they can throw a drug and it mildly improves the symptoms, then technically their job is done. But what they haven't done is addressed what caused the problem. And is that actually helpful in any way, shape or form Probably not, because the drug usually comes with a side effect, and we haven't fixed the root cause of the problem. So you've got, you know, this messiness, this trifecta of things that the the standard care, the standard advice is abysmal. So people are unaware, and people aren't conscious of this, and they just think that they're going to shop for food like they shop for gas, and cheaper is better. And then, you know, people get sick doing that, and they look for help, and then they just stay stuck in the cycle, because the help that they get is not focused on this, you know, aspect of, well what are we eating? Like, how are we sleeping? What's our stress levels? Like, it's just like, oh, you have X, Y, and Z symptoms. This is the drug for you. Report back in a month. Let me know how you're going. Yeah. I'd say also one of the, one of the things that were especially eye-opening is just how much shit is inside what you're eating. Mm. And like, you would never think twice. I mean, I'll use three very good examples. Ketchup and like sauces and condiments have so much stuff in them that like, I can't read the ingredient name. I know it's not good for you. Yeah. Maybe like a preservative, a dye, even like salmon, I guess. That was a big one. I remember texting you being like, what is dye doing in salmon? It just seems so unnecessary. And I'm putting in these toxic ingredients into my body. And then of course, at least in my mind, I'm like, of course, I'm going to feel like shit. So I'd say like condiments, sauces, that was a big one. Coffee is extremely chemically treated Yeah, as well as also Wine was a big one. I remember when I stayed at the inn, I think you you uh you got us a bottle of like a wine that contained no sulfites or only naturally occurring and was just like a, a natural wine. And wine also has so much so many chemicals, so many additional ingredients in them that you just don't need to be putting in your body. Still, I guess, even in this conversation, my mind's still blown. Don't understand why those things are right are in those foods, but I was really surprised to learn all that. Yeah, it's pretty insane, man. Like the wine example, again, is crazy because it's, it's it, I mean, it's technically called a, you know, a, ma- a major food group. And it's the only major food group in the United States that is allowed to be produced without an ingredients label. And, you know, 
wine produced in the United States can have over 50 additives and, and hidden ingredients in it. And they don't need to disclose that on the label over 50. That's crazy. So you're talking artificial colors, tannins, you're talking about sulfites, you're talking about all these things. And we're forgetting that, you know, what are the grapes? Like, how are the grapes grown that is becoming this wine? Because Americans love Californian wine and they think, oh, you know, I've got this wine from the Napa Valley. It's, it must be beautiful. It's Californian. Every single wine tested from California, organic or not, tested for small amounts of residue of glyphosate, which is weed killer, because we're spraying that on all of our crops. So it's really crazy what we've done to the food system. The soil that our food is grown in is unhealthy. We're using toxic pesticides and herbicides and fungicides and rodenticides. And the plants themselves, if they're grown in mineral destroyed soil, they're not providing the nutrition that they could if they were grown in a biodynamic organic style farm. Same story happens for the meat. It's, it's a much different yeah. animal to get 100% grass fed and finished meat from a cow that was raised naturally, like eating grass in the sunshine versus one that finished the last three months of its life in a feedlot eating GMO corn injected with vaccines and antibiotics so it doesn't get sick because its natural living environment is, is so wrong. But it's also very analogous to the way that humans are living. You know, and I, I have this, I had this thought the other day that like, we think about meat, you know, using that example again, like free range on the pasture, in the sunshine, eating the diet it's supposed to be healthy, right? Versus the one that's in the feedlot eating all of the wrong stuff, gets sick, needs the antibiotics, needs the vaccines, etc. That's how humans are living. If humans <laughs> are free range humans, eating the way that they're supposed to be, getting out in nature, moving the body, getting sunlight, happy, healthy. They're, they're just wonderful creatures and they get on with it and they don't get sick and they just have this vibrance about them. But if you confine them to indoor environments and you feed them food that's you know genetically modified and not supposed to be eaten by us, and then you pump them full of medications just in case they get sick, and then you tell them to be scared of the sun so they never go out in the sunlight. And when they do go out in the sunlight, they put toxic sunscreen all over the body and they let that leach in. And then on the weekends, they go out and they drink and they do drugs. That's two different animals, man. It's two completely different animals. And I know which one is healthier. Well said. Yeah, it's crazy. And honestly, quite frankly, scary. The misinformation, the lack of education, the lack of knowledge. And just like, honestly, it's pretty difficult to buy food ingredients that, that are clean. Obviously, it's possible farmers markets, etc. But you know, the, the average supermarket, and just like the things that you think you're getting with also the information you have, or most people have, you might think you're eating healthy, but really you're putting so much crap in your body. Right. Um, so it's, it's really crazy. I want to talk about a little bit more around lifestyle as well, mm. especially now. And I guess one of the reasons why I thought this podcast was coming at such a good time, obviously Corona is going on, people are stuck in their house and for the most part, I assume not really leaving. So I think this is a really interesting time for a few reasons. One, I think a lot of people are in their house, either like a little bit frantic, don't know how to be spending their time. And I think for many, it's a great time to get ahead, grow, learn, figure out what are the things you really want to be doing. Um, and I think for a lot of people also, it's creating an interesting inner dialogue where for the first time, whether they're laid off for a load or just have like more time on their hands than usual, they could really take a step back and introspectively think, 
what do I want to do with the yeah. time that I do have? So I'm curious, and I saw you post on your Instagram an interesting chart the other day that was like where you're at, yeah. um, what I want to be doing during COVID-19. Yeah. And I'm curious, what would be like your suggestion to anyone listening for how they should be spending this time right now? Yeah. So what I've been talking about a lot with my clients and with the people that follow me on social media is cultivating a high quality quarantine. And really, you know, are you going to live in those zones that you're referring to are basically the fear zone, the learning zone and the growth zone. And the fear zone is like I'm sitting on my butt all day consuming 15 hours of media, scrolling nonstop, watching this thing. Oh, my God, the world's going to end eating bad food, thinking bad thoughts. That's the fear zone. And that's not good for anybody. The learning zone is like, okay, you know, I'm going to stay informed, but I'm also going to use this time to like learn some stuff. Maybe I'm going to read a book. Maybe I'm going to start a new hobby. And the real growth zone is like using this time to combine the learning with impact. Like, am I truly happy with where I am? Is this giving me pause for like what direction I want to go into my life? How do I positively impact the world? And by the way, what that looks like is working on yourself. It's always the answer is working on yourself. So, you know, something I've been talking about and being very vocal about during this time as well is that this should be a massive wake-up call for the importance of your health. Forget the finances. Forget all of that stuff. It's going to be real. Like, we're going to be in, an, in a tight economic space for a while right now, and it's scary. And people we love might get sick, and we, we might, you know, lose things that we really value. But there is not a situation in life that you will not find a benefit from being healthier. And this is a wake-up call to put health on a pedestal, to work on that, because the healthier you are, the less likely you are to be impacted by something like this. We're looking at deaths and death rates and, and going down that kind of route and looking how serious this can get in terms of morbidities. They're all comorbidities. You know, these are things that people are getting sick with COVID because they're already sick. They're immune compromised. They're suffering from metabolic syndrome. They're overweight, diabetic. They've got, you know, pre-existing conditions like hypertension and bad cholesterol. Like this is a real wake up call. And I think if we miss the opportunity in the wake of this to not have this conversation about health, then we're really missing the boat here because what is happening and what I see happening is experts are running round and round in circles on projection models and, and things that really aren't providing value. You know, this doctor saying, you know, you must sanitize your Amazon boxes. This one saying, no, you know, this, this is more important. Social distancing, all of this stuff, we're talking round and round in circles about it. Nobody is having the conversation that maybe we should actually just be doing something that will radically start impacting us right now, which is, you know, focusing on our health and talking about how important diet is in that equation and talking about how important it is to start a, a mindset practice and, and really manage your stress and really, you know, get off the media and get off the news and you look to use this time to make yourself healthier because there's no doubt about it. If something like this happens again or a second wave comes and all of these ifs, ands, or buts, you're going to be better off the healthier you are. That's a fact. And no one can argue with that. So why talk around and around and around in these circles on things that we really don't know the answer to and all these what ifs and these, you know, hypotheticals when we do know how to encourage people to be healthier and we can start there and we can give that message. And if we started and these news media outlets were covering something like that, we could change hundreds of millions of American lives right now because you've got, you know, three quarters of the nation insulin resistant and pre-diabetic, and they don't even know it. And seven out of every 10 deaths is a chronic disease. And these are driven by diet and lifestyle factors, things that we could change with the right information, and the right push to do so. So I think this is a wake up call to, to do that, you know, and take responsibility because health is your birthright. 
but it's also your responsibility and no one can do that for you. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love what, what you're saying. And I fully agree. I think so much of this stems from, you know, poor nutrition, poor diet, and that's so important right now. So yeah, I definitely hope that this is a wake up call for the world, I guess. And, you know, people start to take their, their health more seriously. And it's funny also, one other thing, since like going primal and working with you, I've definitely found that like, I don't know if I've ever gotten sick. Honestly, mm. it's just like, I remember I was taking so many supplements as well. And now it's like I, I take some vitamin D. But really, with the with the exception of vitamin D, and some probiotics here and there, it's like, I, I, I mean, I hope now I'm not going to get the, right. the virus. Right. Or but like, yeah, I rarely, rarely ever get sick now. Well, let's just talk about that for a second real quick. Because not a lot of people understand how the immune system is overburdened in a modern toxic world. Because if you are eating foods that are causing inflammation, if you are eating a lot of gluten-containing grains or non-organic foods that are sprayed in weed killer and things that are damaging the gut lining, then you can end up suffering from leaky gut or a permeated gut. And if these foods are passing the, you know, the, the barrier from the small intestine into the bloodstream, then that is not a good thing because your immune system has to respond to that because that's a foreign invader. So your immune system will come and it will do its thing and it will digest the foreign invader. And then cool, right? You're protected now. But that was breakfast. Now what happens at lunch? And then what happens at dinner? And then what happens 365 days a year for 10 years? Your immune system is constantly fighting your own kind of diet that is causing you to you know, run these high rates of inflammation and also exhaust your immune system. Your immune system becomes overworked. This is where autoimmunity comes from because your immune system is so tired and so overworked that your body starts to not be able to differentiate the healthy you from the not healthy you. And it will start willy nilly attacking cells just because it's in overdrive. And now we've got things like asthma. Now we've got psoriasis. Now we've got PCOS. Now we've got all kinds of these autoimmune diseases that are driven by the diet and the toxicity of modern life and the lack of sleep and the overworking and the disconnect with nature and EMFs and Wi-Fi and 4G and 5G coming. All of these things are filling up this bucket. And if you're not you know, doing your best to empty the bucket, the stress bucket, and really work on that, then when the time does come where you really need to sit back and rely on your immune system, you might not be able to do so because your immune system is, is non-existent, man. It's, it's done. It's exhausted. It's tired. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned a few things outside of diet there, more around lifestyle. So maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the lifestyle changes that I guess you've made in your life over time. Some of the things that you think are like a non-negotiable things that people should be implementing in their life. I know one thing you put out quite a bit is the Sunrise Club. So yeah. maybe you could talk a little bit around those lifestyle things that you feel are important around movement, Sunrise Club, let people yeah. in on all that information. Yeah, the light, uh, you know, you've got to think about your diet in many instances, and it exceeds beyond what you put in your mouth. You know, and I talk about your light diet a lot. What is your light diet? And the reason that I'm so passionate about Sunrise Club and what that is, for those of you that, that don't know, is it's just getting up and watching the sunrise. And that doesn't matter whether you're in Manhattan. It doesn't matter whether you can't see the sunrise because it's cloudy. It means getting up with the natural rhythm of the sun, because this is how we always did it forever. And, you know, we got up with the sun because that information, when it hits our skin and when it hits our eyeballs, it informs the body to start chemical processes. So, you know, some of the basic functions of early morning light is that 
that early morning light hits the eyeball where it sends signals to turn the extra serotonin into melatonin and store that melatonin, which is what you're going to use when nighttime comes to sleep. So a good night sleep starts with what you do in the morning. You're going to turn off, you know, the sleepiness of the pre-existing circulating melatonin in your bloodstream. And you're going to start to naturally see a nice natural rise in cortisol which is a wakefulness hormone. So it's going to wake you up like getting out in the sunshine and just looking up to the sky is like a good cup of coffee without the jittery and kind of the anxiety provoking effects of it. It starts your biological clock in terms of helping regulate your metabolism. It helps you digest food better. It makes you more insulin sensitive. It makes you better able to tolerate environmental toxins because you are living as nature intended. So every degree further removed you get from living the way nature intended is a step away from your humanness. And each step away from your humanness you take, the less healthy you're going to be, the less able to thrive that you are going to be. So sunrises are important, but you know not everybody can get out for a sunrise. I get that. Just get outside. Just spend some time outside every day. Like 20 minutes is an absolute minimum requirement for you to be outside just doing whatever you do outside. It doesn't matter. Go drink a cup of coffee outside. Go read a book outside. Yes, even if it's cloudy. Yes, even if it's raining, because you need that information. The light information we get when we're inside and we're under, you know, energy efficient bulbs and LED lights and the light that we're getting in our eyeballs all day is from computer screens and iPhones and smart TVs. That is not natural light. Your light diet sucks and it's informing your body terribly. It's telling your body because these are non-native light signals that are, that are not found anywhere in nature, these intensities of light. Your body doesn't know what the hell to do with them. And the problem here is many people do that into the night. You know, they, they Netflix and chill. They're just they're watching, you know, six episodes of a show back to back long after the sun has gone down. So what's the information your body's receiving here? Because the, the light that's going in the eyeballs is telling your body that it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. Do you think if the information your body's receiving that says it's two o'clock in the afternoon is going to allow you to downregulate and cool your core temperature and get that melatonin flowing to get you ready for sleep? Hell no. It's keeping you tired, but wired, jacked up on stress hormones. Now your head hits the pillow. You might be able to sleep, but you're really passing out from exhaustion. You're not easing into a restful night of sleep or your head might hit the pillow. And that's when your monkey mind starts to go right. Da, 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 and it takes you an hour to get to sleep. And you're sitting there just trying to, you know, quiet the mind so you can find that piece of restful sleep. But you can't because your body has been receiving all of the wrong information. So you've got bad food, you've got bad light, maybe your movement sucks, you know, I'm sitting on the floor for this, you know, this we've been talking now for almost an hour, and I've been sat on the floor cross legged moving my position, you know, chairs, chairs, you know, and, and these comfortable couches and all of these things that we have come so reliant on. They're not the way we evolved, we evolved on the ground, sitting in squat, moving a lot. Now we move so little that we have to buy it, you know, we buy our movement, we buy gym memberships so we can go and create this antidote because we spend, you know, 15 hours a day sitting on our asses, eating junk food, taking in junk media with junk lights. And now we've got to do something. You know, it's crazy to me, because again, it's another step away from that, that humanness. So move more, get more natural light, eat food that is meant for humans, you know, behave like a human interact with people, you know, it, there's, there's so many facets to this. But I think, you know, food light movement is, is three of the fundamental pillars for sure. We're going to set a lot of people in a in a frenzy or in a panic after they're listening to this. They're going to be like, oh, <laughs> shit, I'm doing everything wrong. That's, that's how I feel. It's like, oh, I got diet. Now I'm looking above me. And I'm like, what what light bulbs are, are above me? Well, you see, right? I mean, if, again, if you see a video clip from this, you'll notice there's a red 
hue to my screen. And that's because I have these red bulbs in the background over there because I've switched out the, the bulbs in my house. You know, these red lights balance the harsh blues from computer screens and things like that. And, you know, after sundown, I wear those goofy orange looking glasses that block the blue light. Like these are all things to do with managing your health, managing your cellular health, managing your mitochondria, keeping that delicate melatonin that you create. These are all very, very important things. And you don't have to be perfect about them, but becoming aware of them is huge. You know, if you if you notice that you spend eight hours a day under these like LED strip lights, I mean, can you make a simple switch? Can you go back to an incandescent bulb that's a slightly warmer orange that is more like the light you would experience outside, not this like blinding blue light that flickers? And you'll see something quite crazy, which you won't realize because your naked eye can't see it. But if you go around your house with your phone in the slow motion mode and you video your lights, look to see if they're flickering in the slow motion and you'll see they're going dit, 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 and they're turning on and off. They're flickering thousands of flickers a second. And this is very confusing for your eyes to pick up and it, it's not good light environment and, it, and it's causing a lot of you know cellular damage. You're a health freak and I love it. I really hope, I mean, people who listen to this, you're just a wealth of knowledge. So I, I hope people take advantage of this and especially during this time, you know, as you mentioned, I hope this is a wake up call to people to take their health more seriously. I'm curious, shifting topics, if plant medicine is something you're uh, willing to, to chat about for a bit. Oh, yeah, big time. Love plant medicine. So maybe you could, you know, share a little bit about your journey, I guess, like how you ended up learning more and I guess, starting to take plant medicine, if that's the mm -hmm. right terminology. I'm personally very intrigued by all that. Right. Yeah. So I've got, um, you know, I've got there's so much to say on this topic because a lot of people have experienced uh, psychedelic drugs in a non-ceremonial setting. So maybe they've taken mushrooms and gone to a concert with friends or, you know, they've taken LSD in their youth or whatever. But those aren't the experiences I'm talking about. Those aren't experiences that I ever even had because they never called to me. When we say plant medicine, I'm talking about using the plant in a shamanic setting, in ceremonial setting with intention, you know, with a willingness to go in and do the work in a safe container. And that's much, much different than taking recreationally to try and have a good time. You know, you're going in to, to really expose layers of yourself that, that, that are really important to do the work. So my journeys have been with high dose psilocybin mushrooms under the guidance of a shaman up here in um, upstate New York in a container that, you know, is is designed exactly for this work. So you can feel safe and relaxed. And it's guided the entire evening by the Icaros and the Icaros are songs from the Amazon that are played on a variety of different instruments from flutes to shikanas to rattles to bells to cymbals to even good old music from Spotify for, you know, the more modern shamans these days. And the journey which it is, is is one of going inwards, which is one of ego dissolution. This idea that, you know, you can take these medicines to get to basically have, you know, in one night, what a lot of people would call 10 years worth of therapy, to really see your shadows, to really see the things that are holding you back, to really see plain as day, that the ways you may be sabotaging yourself, the childhood trauma that you never dealt with. And that doesn't just mean physical, it might be emotional, it might be something you're clinging on to. The one time somebody said something mean to you in school or the heartbreak that you had when the girl cheated on you, whatever these things are that you're still carrying around, and you don't even realize that they're shaping your world. The plant medicines are a way to go into that and heal an enormous amount of what we carry around with us that we haven't fully healed. And, you know, you, you get to experience 
something that is quite ineffable and something that is hard to put into words because you can't really talk about it in this vision of the 3D world that we have because it's it's more than that. It's an out-of-body experience. Quite literally, you will leave your body and you will be in a different energetic realm that is not you. It is not Danny in this bag of skin. It is your soul or your higher consciousness, whatever word you feel comfortable with. And from that place, you will be able to see a great many things from your own personal trials and tribulations. You will maybe be able to connect to other people that maybe are not with us anymore. Maybe, you know, the spirit of the plants and the spirit of Mother Nature herself, you'll be able to convene with God. God, not in necessary, you know, terms of a, of a white bearded man in the sky, but the energy of all connected living things, Gaia, you know, um, it's a remarkable tool, but it really has to be sourced appropriately and used with reverence and respect in in a setting. And it's not, you know, don't go buy mushrooms and do these in your apartment <laughs> with friends, you know, seek out a medicine man, seek out a shaman, set intentions, think about what you want to get from this work and be willing to show up, do the work. These are ceremonies, but they are not easy. You know, I have had ceremonies where I have been beaten down and stripped of raw and wide open. And I've also had ceremonies where I've spent, you know, six hours with what can only be described as God. And it was the most beautiful, wonderful experience of my life. So there's the whole gamut of experience and you've just got to be willing to willing to face whatever comes up. So I know it's not, obviously, it's totally different from like meditating or doing things, trying to practice something that's more like an introspective practice. And I'm assuming you already had like meditation practice or things of that nature that you were already doing that were very inward facing. So I guess what made you want to take the leap and, and give plant medicine a shot? Yeah, it was really to get to the to get to open the doors that I wasn't getting to fast enough through these other modes of inquiry. So meditation has been incredibly powerful for me. You know, journaling, contemplation, all of these modalities have been, you know, just life changing in many senses. But there's always something there. There's always that, you know, that that innermost cave that we ask her to enter, you know, that thing that we need the push and the medicine doesn't give you what you want. It gives you what you need. So there's, you can be as introspective as you want, but there's, there's deep, deep, deep layers of the psyche and the archetypes and the collective unconscious that is very hard to tap into unless you have meditated for 20, 30, a lifetime of years, whereas the plants will accelerate that process rapidly. So you can get to the things faster and and tap into the innate wisdom and be able to then find your own wisdom and the answer to these questions and really just bust down all of these doors that otherwise might have taken you 15 years to uncover or thousands of dollars with a you know a, a therapist or any other modalities like these are technology in in the greatest sense like ancient technology they've been around since antiquity and all cultures have used psychedelic medicines um you know unpopular opinion here but they're probably also the birth of all modern religions which we now know so um <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot going on there but these are a portal into you know a great amount of growth were you scared before you terrified <laughs> what were you scared of in particular terrified of what i might learn about myself terrified of the things that maybe i knew deep down subconsciously were parts of myself that i felt not very good like ugly painful facing past things that I'm maybe not too pleased about. Also, the, the fear of not knowing what that experience is like, the fear of purging, you know, being sick because the medicine can sometimes make you purge. La purga, and that could be poop or puke. 
you know, because it's it's cleansing you internally. <laughs> For me, it would definitely be poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, not now you're primal. <laughs> Were you scared that like you wouldn't come out of that state or is that just like not even a thing? No, that's not even a thing. Um, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're not well read on the topic, you, that's a natural concern. You know, you'd think like, what about psychosis? What if I have a mental break and I never come back? I mean, it's never really happened. There's never been a person, you know, die of mushrooms, like, you know, and, and, and that's what I'm talking about here, like mushrooms and, you know, peyote cactus and ayahuasca and these kind of things, these natural medicines, they have inbuilt safety mechanisms that if you take too much, then guess what? You're just going to puke. Nobody's ever died from taking too many mushrooms. It's not the same as, you know, getting a pill and, and getting a bad batch and, you know, having a horrific incident. So, you know, these not only have their own innate wisdom and technology and built into them, they protect the user and, and make sure that that's appropriate. I, I had a trust. I had a trust in the in the medicine and in the guide that, that that was never a real possibility for me. And, you know, I've since done, you know, several journeys and, and, and just read so much about the history of that. The only thing that happens is you come back with, you know, a lot more insight and a lot more um, spirituality and a lot more connectedness, which I think the world needs now more than ever. Is it true you need to, you do consume it in excess to reach the state you're trying to or not necessarily? Well, it depends who you ask. Um, you know, there's there's different schools of thought, and you know, the I guess it depends who you work with and and where you're willing to go. But there seems to be a certain amount required for this ego dissolution to happen, this ego death for you to really get tapped in. Otherwise, it's a microdose, right? And you've got a bunch of people running around New York City and Silicon Valley microdosing every day, where they're taking you know point one of a gram, and they're just tapping into you know really steady but like creative realms. It's much different to take three grams or five grams. These are these are kind of just going to blow the lid off. These are you know once they're in, they're in. You know, like and and you just got to surrender to it. So there's a resistance sometimes to be unwilling to you know open the door because you feel the medicine coming on strong, but you're scared of where that's taking you. And the goal is to just surrender, to just go. When you get in this opportunity to go through this door in the medicine, do you take it or do you say no? And that's when you'll have a bad trip. That's when you'll have a bad experience is when you're unwilling to go and face the thing that you're being offered to face. If you just ride with it, you know, you're going to have this profound experience that is going to show you exactly what you need to be shown at that time. Mm, that makes sense. So the first time you did it, can you just take us through like what that looked like? Mm, the first time I did it. So there was there was a lot more nerves and things like that because it was just my first time and it was unknown. I didn't have a well-developed relationship with the guide at this point, whose name is Guillaume. So it was just brand new. So, you know, the first thing you do, you arrive like four hours before you even take the medicine to get used to the space. And you're sitting on a cushion the whole night. So by the time you even take the medicine, you're getting quite uncomfortable. Your back's a little bit achy. Your knees, you feel like you want to stretch. And then you drink the medicine and you're just kind of waiting for, the, for, for it to come on. And, and, you know, you've been tasked with setting an intention and really figuring out what you, what you want to go into these ceremonies to, to learn about yourself or to uncover, you know, whether that's just a greater connectedness to self or, you know, you, you want to heal something, you want to connect with ancestors. There's, there can be many reasons to do this medicine. You know, there's usually a cleansing medicine too. So hape was the cleansing medicine that, that kind of gets you prepared for the for the mushrooms. And hape is a blend of like 52 trees from the Amazon. And it's shot up the nostril through a pipe into usually the left nostril first and then into the right nostril. And it causes probably one of the most intense experiences I've ever had in my entire life, but it's very short-lived, maybe, maybe 10 minutes maximum. 
but it's an intense heat. It's an intense tingling all throughout the body. It's an intense feeling of being in your body like you've never experienced. And it's a very alive feeling, but it's very, very intense. It's very, very intense. It's, it's sweaty. It's, it's hot. And it often causes people to purge, which I did. I purged. And then you drink the, the mushrooms and I'm like, holy shit, what have I got myself into here? Oh, my God. So we could paint a little bit of a picture for those listening. Like, are you in a room with other people? Are you sitting mm-hmm. down? What What's that look like? Yeah, you're in a room with like, this first ceremony had like eight other people in it and, and two guides, two shamans looking after. And you can come in around doing body work on you, doing energy work, you know, singing the songs. So, you know, you're in a room with other people, but at the same time, you're just very much in your own space, you know? Like, what's the room look like? I'm I'm imagining like a tent, you're sitting on grass, which is Yeah, like- so right now, the, the room down here is a maloka, and it's an incredibly four-walled built structure with wall-to-wall windows that you can see out. And it's up here where I live, which is just countryside heaven, and it's down the bottom of a hill, and it's just in the forest. And the skylights, so you're lying down, and you're looking up at these skylights, and you can just see these huge trees above you. There's nature all around you. And it's in a room that is could probably fit, you know, 15 people comfortably. So it's a small container and there's just instruments around everywhere. And it's just it's got a it's got a medicine mural, which was painted by a famous Peruvian artist that comes alive under the black light. So the lights go off. The goal of of the medicine journey is to do it in darkness. And, you know, the lights go down and it's and it's just very it's a very beautiful setting. It's a very safe setting and it's inward nature with no no other interference you know there's no noise of cars there's no telephone pole wires there's no cell towers nearby there's nothing so it's just you nature and the medicine okay so they inject i guess it's a medicine they inject a medicine plant medicine into your your nose the happy shot through a pipe like (laughs) okay the shaman administers it okay so they do that you have this intense sensation at that point, you're not hallucinating or seeing anything. No, it's not necessarily hallucinogenic. It's just very, very intense. Um, and the, the psychedelic, uh, you know, mushrooms are really what start the hallucinations and you know the the visions. Then they give you the the mm. drink. Yeah. And I guess with that, it's one time, and then you're done, or you're drinking it throughout. It's prepared with like sacred cacao, and then you drink and you chew the mushrooms and you and you eat it, and then at various points, like two more times, typically during the night, the shaman will ask you, "Do you want more? Do you want to go deeper?" Um, because that first dose is probably around you know three grams or so, and if you say yes, then it'll be another gram, and if you say yes, it may be another gram. So maybe now you're up at like five grams, and you're really, really deep in the medicine, and you can say no, of course, that's completely up to you. It depends on where you're at, and and do you have a, a, a trust that you need to go deeper? Are you completely okay with where you're at, and you just kind of keep ratcheting it up if you want to? But you know, the you basically drink, and within a half an hour, this the stuff starts to happen. The the connectedness to your body, the feelings, the visions, the sights, the sounds, the you know, the trip begins, so to speak. And I'm assuming it like it continues to build slowly or it hits you like a brick wall? No, it continues to build slowly. And there's usually like an apex, uh, you know, like a, a culmination, the big thing. And then it's the, and then it's the gradual come down. It's like a, it's a, it's a journey, you know, it's a journey, the climb of the mountain, the peak of the mountain, and then the descent back down. How many hours are you in this setting for? A long time, like eight. <laughs> <laughs> you do it overnight or you start yeah, you do it overnight. So you don't sleep? No, you don't sleep until like, I mean, you typically will will finish your ceremony at like 4 or 5 a.m. And then you'll nap for a couple of hours and then you'll have a sharing circle afterwards and you'll integrate, you know, and you'll sleep and journal and then talk with the circle about some of the things that came up for you. 
and just trying to make sense of it a little bit, you know, because it was for most people, it's it's often the most profound event of the life to date, you know, and and usually that consists throughout the rest of their life. So and like, I'm just curious, is anyone there going to like a complete panic? Um, I've been in a, in, in a ceremony or two where like somebody has been having a really hard time, you know, they've been working through stuff and that might have like deep, deep, painful sobbing or, or some, you know, panic and screaming and things like this. But that's why there's guides and that's why the shamans to, to, you know, let those people know that they're safe and what they're really doing when they're doing those things is processing and healing and they're reliving something so that they can work past it. And I've been incredibly emotional in ceremony too and and in like really hard places but while I was there I was doing the healing that was necessary for me so it's just having the trust in the guide you know you need a really good guide because you're calling a lot of energy into that room you know if you've got 10 people there's a lot of energy in that room and you have to have a a well-versed and experienced shaman that that can basically monitor that energy and, and what the shaman means at least from ancient cultures is he who walks between worlds so a shaman is somebody that can have one foot in, in this world and another foot in the ethereal and be able to really manage that and maybe keep the energy protected and help keep everybody safe while they do their own work. Mm, it's so interesting. I personally have a pretty big interest in this, but definitely I'm sure you could sense a bit of fear. Mm. Just like, not even what if you don't come out of it? Just like, it sounds like you go through help. I don't think I'm as scared as like the the process. I think what I fear the most is not necessarily getting sick, even just like out of control, I guess, in some, right. in some regards. I don't know if that if that makes sense. That's like what, what yeah. comes to mind for me. It does. It makes total sense. And it's funny because that's usually the biggest reservation for people. Like, I don't want to lose control. But if you examine that thought of, <laughs> yeah. of this fear of losing control, what you actually realize is this fear of losing control means that you're not in control at all because you're ruled by your fears and you rule by your insecurities and you rule by this unwillingness to relinquish that control. So internally you say, well, I'm in control and I like to be in control of myself and my faculties and I, I'll never put myself in that situation. But <laughs> you're not really in control then, are you? To be able to show up vulnerably and bravely to to relinquish that control and, and to quote Joseph Campbell, and this is really what what a ceremony is is the, is the hero's journey encapsulated into one night going through all of these steps and the culmination of the event being that cave you fear to enter has the treasure you most need so whether that's internally and proverbially or just this act of showing up and relinquishing control these that's where you get to go and slay the dragon that is guarding this treasure that you now get to to get and bring back to life. Now you get to, mm -hmm. to return from the ordeal with your own medicine and you get to share that with other people because you won't be the same person after a ceremony and you'll be better in every single way. And when you're better, you're going to be better for those relationships. You're going to be better for those people you wish to serve. You're going to be better emotionally, spiritually, professionally. And that's really, you know, are you willing to enter that cave? And are you willing to do that? Because it is scary. You know, if you're going to go into a cave and slay a dragon, I bet you're going to have some fear, right? But <laughs> yeah. the fastest way to grow is to go and do that. And that's the, and, and, and what lies on the other side of that is the ultimate source of growth and reward. Mm. Like the way I think about it is like, if, if you ever, I guess like sprint up a hill and mm. you're, you have shortness of breath and you have some, some anxiety settles in where you're, scared of just like why is my heart beating so fast i guess some of it definitely sounds like it stems from an area of wanting to control but just like am i gonna die from this experience but it sounds it sounds like from what you're describing perfectly safe right 
and I've worked and I've, I've had my wife sit with me in, in ceremony and I've had friends and I've had clients and many of them have been people who suffer from anxiety. And one night of medicine has cured their anxiety because that night of medicine made them friendly with their anxiety. They got to see what it is. They got to sit with it and see why they have it and be able to say, ah, anxiety, like I see you, like I see where you come from. <laughs> and I love you for trying to protect me. But in trying to protect me in all of these scenarios, you limited my long-term growth. And coming out of ceremony, the other side of that being like, I'm no longer anxious. I've been anxious for 25 years of my fucking life. And in one night, I've healed my anxiety because you have done the work that you've needed to do that you've never been offered the opportunity to do. Mm. And all of these fears, you know, again, there's two levels to fear. Firstly, the cave you fear to enter has that treasure you need the most. So are you going to go and get it? And the second level to that fear is fear is, is almost always false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. It's the story we tell about the thing that is far more scary and invokes far more fear than the actual event itself. Mm. Every time we've had fear and we've built up this elaborate story of how it can all go wrong and how this is so scary and this, that, and the other, when we've actually done it and we've conquered it, we look back and we go, I don't know what I was so worried about. It's the same thing with this. You know, that fear is usually just anxiety. It's your lower self trying to protect you. It's all of these things, but it's just a story and it doesn't really make anything true, you know, and, and that just doing it will will prove that to you. Yeah. I'm curious, are there any any new health goals of yours or things you're exploring now that like are even new to you outside of plant medicine, just like new things that you're trying to or that are goals of yours to learn about, explore in rest of 2020? Yeah, so what what actually, and it stemmed from plant medicine, really, because before then, I was I was less holistically minded, because I was less holistically connected as a person. And what we really do as coaches, and what any good coach should be doing, is really teaching the things that they wish to learn and bringing their clients on that journey with them. So you probably noticed from our first, you know, 30 days together, maybe a few years ago, which was just all about the food, to this second 30 days, which was focused on the food, but also like what's going on between the ears and how can we, you know, make this a more holistic package. So, you know, it's radically influenced my coaching philosophy in terms of how I help people connect with their innate spirituality and their alignment and combining all of these things as a vehicle for that growth. But it's also spurred me on to take deeper that walk for myself, you know, so I'm, I'm deepening my own spiritual practice. I'm reading more philosophy. I'm, I'm exploring the ideas of Carl Jung more. I'm reading, you know, Joseph Campbell. I'm entertaining Eastern, you know, uh, wisdom and, and things like Zen and Buddhism and the Tao, as well as looking at facets of Christianity and realizing, by the way, that they all say the same thing. They're all talking about the same thing and they, they all have the same message. How can I bring that information into today's modern Western world to work with people like yourself, young, busy entrepreneurs, and package that in a way that's digestible and will have positive impact while making them happier along the way. So some things that I'm interested in is just how to embody that and deliver that more specifically, and also how to really step in and own my role as a coach for men who really need that, and, and that mentorship in today's world, because I believe that there is this attack on masculinity, and it's coming from the social justice warriors. And it's coming from this innate belief that men are indoctrinated into, which is masculinity is bad. Masculinity is toxic. All of these ideas that, you know, our innate power, which is our true masculinity, is somehow not good. And, and it's depolarizing and emasculating men. So I'm really looking forward to stepping more into that role and helping people transition from what I would call 
boy psychology and immature masculine energy that is rooted in a lot of those toxic behaviors to transition and make that initiation process into mature masculine psychology and really embody what it means to be a man in today's modern world, which we need more of. We need more masculinity, not less. And the, and the standard narrative in today's world is we need less masculinity because masculinity is bad and masculinity is not bad. Toxic people acting as men give masculinity a bad name, but they are ruled in boy psychology and all of these, these things. So really, how do we, how do we make that initiation from boyhood to manhood? Yeah. It it sounds like you continue to take a more holistic approach in your coaching practice. And I think as we sort of mentioned in, in the last hour, a lot of health starts with diet, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're going, I guess you continue to put more emphasis on, okay, now once we have diet covered, what now, what, what's the next thing to sort of live a more holistic, better life, et cetera. Right. I'm curious just because as I mentioned to you, the goal of my podcast is really to inspire people to build a life they love, no matter what, live out their dreams, whatever those dreams are. And we covered so much around diet, health, et cetera. If you could give one bit of advice to anyone listening as it relates to building the life of their dreams, building their dream life, what would that advice be? It's a million dollar question. Well, firstly, I would I would want to remind everybody listening that they are a fucking miracle because their odds of even being born are 400 trillion to one, which is you have more chances of winning the lottery 10 times over in your lifetime than you even being here in this incarnation, in this bag of skin, your genes, the atoms that make up your body will never be formulated in this container ever again. So, right, is that a mistake or are you here to do something more? Are you here, you know, because you have this divine potential and are you living up to that? Or are you just going through the motions and, and, and deep down not, you know, not fulfilled and not happy? And I think that's that's a life lost. So just remember that you're really friggin' special and you're like a re, like am- amazing kind of opportunity here to, to really live a life that you want. And where you'll probably start with that, honestly, is to start prioritizing your health because you can only show up in the world to the degree that you are healthy, to the degree, and when I say health, you know, like we spoke about today, I'm not just talking about cleaning up your diet. I'm talking about, cleaning up your diet, cleaning up your light diet, thinking better, sleeping better, managing your stress, because this will start you on the path and get your foot in the door to the deeper realms of what it means to be fulfilled. And a lot of that is going to start with health. So I think, you know, just really prioritizing this idea that you're going to invest in yourself and you're really going to take care of your body and you're really going to watch how you speak to yourself. And that's where a lot of this will come from because you'll have less toxicity, you'll be able to be more clear minded, and then you'll really be able to get in touch with the things that that are important to you. And you'll be able to be better in relationships, and you'll be able to have more energy to show up and do the work that you wish to do in the world. And, you know, seize opportunities like this, that on one hand can be a disaster and can be really hard, but on another hand can be a catalyst for incredible growth and direction change in life. And do you want to, you know, get that treasure that's in that innermost cave that you fear to enter? Because that's not in an actual cave in the Himalayas. That's all internally, you know? So are you going to show up for that? I love all that. You are such an interesting person with such a wealth of knowledge as it relates to living a life worth lived. So thank you so much for giving yourself to this podcast, the time. 
um, and sharing all the incredible knowledge that that you have. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for thank you for starting this and having this platform and and sharing diverse conversations. I hope there was some good takeaways for people today. If so, hit me up on social media. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was. Uh, slide into those DMs and I'd love to continue the conversation. Where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, the best place is at Peak Primal Health on Instagram, at Peak Primal Health, like Mountain Peak. That's where I'm the most uh, present and that's where you'll find me posting videos and, and rants and sharing all of the stuff that we've talked about today, you know, on a day-by-day basis. So check me out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Hope some people make some changes and get in touch. Yeah, man. Thank you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.